Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Los Savres, and I'm a retired NYPD detective from the bomb squad and a proud military veteran. Less than 24 hours from now, I will be starting my 69th round of chemotherapy. Yeah, you, you heard that correct. I should not be here with you, but you made me come. You made me come because I will not stand by and watch as my friends with cancer from 9-11, like me, are valued less than anyone else because of when they get sick, they die. I have been lucky enough to have had 68 rounds of chemo. Yeah, you, you heard me right, 68 rounds. Many others haven't had the opportunity to have five, and some have had none. Their families would love to have time with them that made mine have time with me because I have been lucky enough to have the pain and suffering of 69 rounds of chemo and countless other treatments and surgeries. It is my goal and it is my legacy to see that you do the right thing for all 9-11 responders. Please understand that we are not here for anything for ourselves. We became police officers, firefighters, paramedics to help others. We went to Ground Zero, the Pentagon, and Shanksville to help people first and then help their families bury someone or something. We were there with one mission and we left after completing that mission. I have been to many places in this world. Excuse me and done many things, but I can tell you that I did not want to be anywhere else but ground zero when I was there. We were part of showing the world that we would never back down from terrorism and that we could all work together. No races, no colors, no politics. Now that the 9-11 illnesses have taken many of us, and we are all worried about our children and spouses and our families if we are not here. VS, the VCF has done a wonderful job and treated my family with greatest respect. But my life isn't worth more than the next responder to get cancer. 
my family needs are not worth less than any others who have already died. This fund is not a ticket to paradise. It is there to provide for our families when we can't. Nothing more. You all said you would never forget. Well, I'm here to make sure that you don't. You made me come down here the day before my 69th round of chemo. And I'm going to make sure that you never forget to take care of the 9-11 responders. Thank you for your time. Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. What you just heard was dying New York Police Department veteran Luis Alvarez begging Congress to renew the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund Act. Alvarez appeared with comedian John Stewart, who passionately dressed down Congress for not having already renewed the act. As I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. The act is now funded up to the year 2092. But serious questions remain about what exactly caused the illnesses that have been killing tens of thousands of first responders so painfully and often slowly. My guest today is going to review evidence found in the tissues of 9-11 emergency responders that was documented by Mount Sinai Hospital researchers and physicians. Kevin Ryan, former site manager for the Environmental Testing Division of Underwriters Laboratories, is here today to talk about a 2009 case report by Mount Sinai titled Lung Disease in World Trade Center Responders Exposed to Dust and Smoke, Carbon Nanotubes Found in the Lungs of World Trade Center Patients and Dust Samples. This report led to Ryan's own 2011 article titled Energetic Materials as a Potential Cause of the 9-11 First Responder Illnesses. Mr. Ryan will share his thoughts about the Mount Sinai report's results and talk about what led to the conclusions he drew in his article. While working for Underwriters Laboratories, Mr. Ryan began to publicly question the laboratory's testing of the structural materials used to construct the World Trade Center buildings and the laboratory's involvement in the World Trade Center investigation being conducted by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. He was fired for this. 
Since 2006, he has been the editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies and has authored books and peer-reviewed scientific articles on forensic evidence linked to 9-11. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Christina. I want to start talking about the April 2010 Mount Sinai case report on what they found in the tissues of otherwise seven previously healthy people who were at the World Trade Center site on 9-11, because I'm assuming that that is part of what led to your article that you wrote. Yeah, the article uh, was uh, written, uh, the lead author was uh, uh, Maoshin Wu. She was, uh, she's a um, Department of Pathology professor at the University of or New York University at Stony Brook. And um, so this is this was a, um, a tissue uh, study. So the, the researchers got ex- uh, samples from 9-11 first responders and studied the, the, uh, the content of those lung tissue samples. And they found a couple of unusual things, uh, uh, two things specifically that stood out to me. And, and that included, they found um, plate-like configurations of uh, aluminum and silicon. So they call them aluminum silicate uh, platy configurations. And they found those to be very unusual in the lungs. Uh, and the second thing they found were uh, what are called carbon nanotubes. So these are very tiny uh, nanoscale um, materials made entirely of carbon uh, that require a specific set of circumstances to produce. So um, these are the two findings that stood out to me and that relate to the studies that uh, colleagues and I have done on uh, World Trade Center dust samples and and, uh, the environmental data at uh, the World Trade Center. They did this pathologic summary and I, I was looking at it and it, what was so interesting, it's not just the aluminum silicate, but also magnesium silicate, right? I mean, aren't aluminum and magnesium both used for ordnance? Yeah, magnesium is also uh, something that is used to ignite, for example, uh, the thermite materials. And um, and so, you know, the silicon, of course, comes into the picture when we're talking about nanothermite. So uh, silicon is used to prepare intimately mixed materials, if that's the cause of it, which there could be other reasons. Um, There's really two reasons why we might uh, find, for example, these materials. And and one is that, um, you know, they were the, they were created somehow in the fires. They were created in these high temperature uh, fires and they did but what would that somehow be the only thing that really makes any sense is the thermite reaction so in particularly with regard to the carbon nanotubes um the aluminum plate like aluminum silicates or magnesium silicates if you recall uh colleagues and i produced a paper called active thermitic material discovered at the world trade center it was a quite well-known paper published in an open journal of chemical physics and uh this was back in 2009. And, uh, you know, we found these red gray chips throughout the World Trade Center dust. So um, the more well-known authors other than myself include 
uh, Niels Herrett, a professor at the University of Copenhagen, and Stephen Jones, a professor at the Brigham Young, Brigham Young University. One thing that, that that paper brought out was that these red-gray chips contain exactly the same sort of thing, these plate-like aluminum and silicon uh, configurations. And they're, they're even pictured by electron microscopy uh, in the, in the uh, paper itself. Uh, they're not pictured in the Mount Sinai study. So these were lung tissue samples, so perhaps they couldn't get the same sort of visual image that we were able to get from the Why would chip. that be? It's likely because it's wet tissue sample. And so, you know, they can see them through the electron microscopy, but they maybe couldn't get the same picture. At least they didn't include them in the, in the paper that I, that I uh, reviewed. So interestingly, I did reach out to Dr. Wu and she responded very support, in very supportive uh, fashion. She stated in, that, you know, she really felt like this, these carbon nanotubes in particular were going to stay with the patients and they were going to continue to cause disease. And that she felt like there's a lot more study needed into, into where this material came from. So, but when we talk about whether it be carbon nanotubes or aluminum uh, silicate type, magnesium silicate type materials, those are the kinds of things that cause disease in, in, of the kinds that we're seeing in the 9-11 first responders. So for example, the uh, uh, aluminum silicates will cause kind of a, immune system diseases like interstitial lung diseases. And what so- What does that mean? Well, the lung tissue um, gets filled with this material and it, it causes a number of things um, that that generate disease. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, Dr. Wu, of course, is, but I'm a chemist, so I can't go into all the details of the biochem of, of the physiological response. But uh, I do know that the diseases that have been named uh, through the World Trade Center Health Program um, they they do kind of the pulmonary fibrosis and and things like that those are caused by aluminum silicates so um aluminum dust or powder is something that's uh, uh, part of a thermite mixture and then as it uh is combined in a nanothermite material is combined with silicon and so um, that's where we find these plate-like structures in these red grape chips and it's interesting that they used at, at, at Stony Brook the same term, kind of platy configurations, the unusual platy configurations in our paper, which, by the way, we hadn't reviewed the, the Dr. Wu paper previous to publishing our two, 2009 paper, but we used the same terminology, the plate-like configuration of these aluminum silicon materials. So... Um, it, it seems to really call for a potential uh, or for additional study. And um, I've definitely tried to do that myself. I can go into that, but. Uh, Let's yeah. talk about the carbon nanotubes. Yeah. What caused them? Carbon nanotubes can only pr be produced under specific conditions. So the, in, a, in a fire, um, they require very high heat. So in fact, you know, for a flame-produced carbon nanotube, you require temperatures of 1,100 degrees Celsius. So that's over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And those just weren't present in, they're not present in an office fire. So that's another indication that the thermite reaction, which is very exothermic and produces temperatures, 
you know, of, of 3000 degrees Fahrenheit is um, can provide that kind of temperature. The other thing it requires is a metal catalyst and specific metal catalysts are usual for the uh, single wall carbon nanotubes, iron and nickel and cobalt. So iron and nickel and cobalt are the three that are most uh, often used to produce uh, carbon nanotubes. And iron oxide, of course, is, is the other major component of thermite. So aluminum powder and iron oxide react to form aluminum oxide, which causes some of these same diseases. Aluminum oxide also causes these lung diseases and molten iron. So, um, and then the third thing is, is the source of carbon. So for carbon nanotubes, it has to be, you know, a source of pure carbon and, um, or uh, organic materials that basically can be broken down very readily into organic carbon. Uh, very high temperature in the metal catalyst. The three of those have to come together um, to form uh, carbon nanotubes. And it's an unusual finding in the lung tissue of materials or uh, of, of first responders because it hasn't been found or at least recorded in the lung tissue of, of people who were exposed to other fires. So where did you know, the carbon come from? The carbon actually in nanothermite is is part of the organic phase. So it's actually mixed together. The aluminum is a very fine nanoscale powder and the iron oxide is also very fine. And then they're mixed together. I've made nanothermite uh, myself and, uh, and they're mixed together with organic materials uh, in order to form this kind of gel material that allows the intimate mixture and the uh, the pores that, that are created from the uh, carbon and silicon uh, organic material allows for the aluminum and iron oxide to be distributed in such a way that they react the most efficiently. Um, and so, you know, the carbon is there, the metal catalyst, the iron is there, the very high temperature is there, all in, in the nanothermite uh, condition. And, uh, and we've proven that, of course. So if, uh, if you've seen my article at my blog about um, Niels Herrett's finding, um, he requested, he knew I was making these nanothermite materials uh, at home in my garage. And uh, that's and kind of scary knowing that that stuff can be done in a garage. It can. Yeah. For a long time, wow. people thought, well, no, this can't be done, except under very unusual circumstances. But, you know, I'm a trained chemist, so I'm able to, to get the materials and, and uh, understand the formulation and, and perform it. I didn't okay. make it on large quantities of it, I, just enough to kind of study it and to ignite it. So I've got videos available where you can see the preparation and ignition of this nanothermite material. And Dr. Herrett asked me to send some of the residues to him in, in Denmark, which I did. And then he presented at the Toronto hearings uh, on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. He presented the fact that he and colleagues at the University of Copenhagen did uh, analytical work and found that carbon nanotubes were present in the residues of the car of the uh, nanothermite ignition. Last year, there were published a paper in experimental health health perspectives by a group of of, of doctors from the Mount Sinai Medical School in Manhattan. They looked into the lung tissue of World Trade Center responders, and they found some thread-like tubular structures in four out of seven patients which were ill. 
uh, in numbers ranging from 11,000 to 230,000 per gram wet tissue. This is the same material which they found also in the World Trade Center dust. Kevin Ryan just showed you in his backyard how he uh, did ignited the nanothermite he had produced himself. And he sent it to me. You remember he came in, he took, he took the beaker and you, show, and you saw down into it. Yeah. He left it cooling a little bit. He put it into a letter and sent it to me. And what I did then is to take a little sample out of this, pouring a few milliliters of alcohol, ethanol onto it, making a slush in a, in a mortar, actually, letting the particles, all the metal particles, all the heavy particles precipitate. And then you take a little drop of, um, of, of the supernatant liquid, you put them onto a copper grid, which the panelists can also see here, they're very, very small. And you let the ethanol evaporate. You put them into a transmission electron microscope, and this is what you see. You see exactly the same structures here, and there's no other explanation for, for, for this. We know now that nanothermite does make uh, carbon nanotubes. We verified that by sending samples to an independent laboratory, uh, uh, a, a, a laboratory that you know, does this for a living. They do analysis of various samples. Um, and they found the same thing. So I sent additional residues to this independent laboratory and had it confirmed that carbon nanotubes and single wall carbon nanotubes, the same, the same kinds that were found in the lungs of the 9-11 uh, first responders were found both at Den in Denmark and by this independent lab through these residues. You know what keeps going through my head as you're saying all this? How come you guys have not put together some kind of a report with all those videos of your experiments and sent them to this doctor? It, doctor Dr. Wu, I did Dr. actually. Dr. Wu and also to the people at Mount Sinai who are specifically treating the New York firefighters. I did send uh, the uh, blog article to Dr. Wu. She was very supportive in her response. She felt like we were doing great work. The issue that we really need to, to address is not that Dr. Wu is doing continual lung tissue uh, testing of the work of the first responders, because that was one study that she was directing, but really um, what we needed and what we tried to get through uh, through some folks in New York City. Uh, so, for example, I coordinated with Bill Gleason, who was the president of the World Trade Center Rescuers Foundation, and Ted Walter, who who ran a, a, an organization called New York City Can at the time. And uh, the New York City Can was trying to get a new investigation into 9/11, and and Bill Gleason was trying to get answers about why his friends and all his you know, firefighting comrades were dying. Yes. Uh, just huge numbers of people dying of these unusual illnesses. And so, you know, Bill and I communicated for a number of years and um, I put together a proposal for him to present to the New York City Council, which he did for a, for a new study. So the idea here is is not just to, to review data that's already existing and try to piece things together like we've been doing, but do a specific study 
comparing lung tissues from uh, 9-11 first lung tissue samples from 9-11 first responders to the World Trade Center dust uh, materials that we're seeing. And so I put this proposal But together. isn't that what the Mount Sinai people did? Because they studied the, they did do, they did study the World Trade Center dust and they took slides of the tissues. We've published several research part of, uh, papers about the World Trade Center dust, uh, establishing extremely high temperatures at the World Trade Center and then establishing the presence of these red gray chips, these thermitic chips. And so anyway, getting back to this proposal, so Bill Gleason did bring this proposal and our, our research to uh, the New York City Council. And they were very interested in, in the, the opportunity to actually help the 9-11 first responders, but they balked at the idea of the um, comparison to any explosive materials. So they, they wouldn't go there because it had uh, connotations of uh, that led to the idea of explosive demolition. Hypothesis. You know, the question is, do you want to know what's in their lungs and why? Exactly. Or do you not? If you don't want to go there, then what are you doing? You're not helping. You know, I, I, I think about this. I think about John Stewart uh, going to Congress and spanking Congress for not properly supporting these first responders. But does he realize really what he's looking at? Would he be willing to acknowledge it if he did know? This is the, this is the wall that everybody keeps running into, right? Yeah, this is the cognitive, cognitive dissonance that we all uh, see all the time. When we try to do research on 9-11, it's the same thing. Uh, when people say, I just can't go there just to learn about 9-11 at all, learn about what happened and how the buildings fell and, you know, how the planes were not intercepted and all the different aspects of 9-11. They just can't go there. Well, this is, this is the point where maybe people can go there because I have had 9-11 first responders write to me and say, because they've learned about my research and, and say, I will, I will participate. I will give you lung tissue sample. They, they will do it. But, you know, we've got to get the study um, sponsored by someone in particularly if possible in New York City so that there's some ownership, um, authoritative ownership of the study. That's what Why wouldn't for. Mount Sinai do it? Well, perhaps they will. And, and I mean, that's their focus is the, yeah. the firefighters. There's six there's six New York, there's six New York area uh, medical facilities that treat the first responders, uh, the emergency responders, and people who were in the area at the time who have also been affected. We're talking about all together between the emergency responders who are up to like 80,000 people now, by the way. That's a 2020, that's that's last year's report yeah. from Mount Sinai. Yeah. And, and I think 30,000 other people who are just in the area. That's exactly. a lot of people. That's very accurate. That's what I found as well. Uh, over 120, about 120,000 people uh, were impacted. And there's 65,000 people who are registered with the World Trade Center Health Program. So, you know, they, that means that they have some certifiable sickness, some sickness that has been certified to be associated with the World Trade Center. And, you know, I'll go, in, I'll go into a little bit more of that, but okay. 
the fact is that as of last year on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, more people had died of World Trade Center sicknesses than died on 9-11 a year ago. Wow. More had died a year ago than had died on 9-11. And they're going to continue to die. Right. So of the 65,000 certified members at the World Trade Center Health Program, 20,000, over 20,000 have cancers. Right. They have and some of them have multiple cancers. Yeah. There are people, hundreds of people who have multiple cancers from their exposure to the World Trade Center dust and in, in the environment there. Now, there's a whole nother crime about the fact that, that you know, uh, Christy Todd Whitman and, and Rudy Giuliani told everybody the air was safe to breathe. Getting the truth and protecting people are part of the EPA's mandate. But if the air at Ground Zero was safe, why were so many people getting sick? Even some of EPA's own staff doubted the agency's assurances about safety. Among them, senior policy analyst Hugh Kaufman. Mrs. Whitman went on national TV, smiled at the camera, and told everybody everything is safe, and it wasn't. As I say, you know asbestos was in there, is in those buildings, lead is in those buildings. There are the, the VOCs. However, the concentrations are such that they don't pose a health hazard. We're going to make sure everybody's safe. They, they basically did that to try to speed up the removal of everything and, and to get the, 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 the downtown area kind of back to business, I guess. Um, but you know these cancers are very rare, some of them, and they're they're unusual. So what we kinds of cancers are we talking about? Well, we got we've got the normal ones like leukemia. We've got unusual things like multiple myeloma. We've got we've got men with breast cancer. You know, we've got a, a number of men who's got male breast cancer, which is very unusual, right? Um, we've got um, some of these unusual lung-related cancers as well. And what we found is, you know, we did a research paper. Uh, I did one with uh, Steve Jones, an attorney uh, named James Gurley. It's called Environmental Anomalies at the World Trade Center, Evidence for Energetic Materials. It was published in a mainstream scientific journal called The Environmentalist, a Springer journal. And it showed that there was, there were really unusual uh, kind of energetic events happening at the World Trade Center over a period of really five months after 9-11. And you may know that, um, you know, the fires couldn't be put out at the ground zero. They're very, really unusual things where they were pouring millions of gallons of water into the pile. They were using specific fire suppression materials to try to su suppress the fires. There was heavy rainfall, all the dust. Just, they couldn't put out the fires. That's another indication that we were dealing with some sort of incendiary material, something that, that had its own oxygen like thermite does. We found that the EPA, the data released by EPA and the University of California data, Davis showed that there were some really sharp, violent spikes in emissions of specific chemicals on really specific dates. And um, they, that kind of indicated to me that there were some violent incendiary events going on. But the like, levels, like what, what were the elements and, and what were the intervals? Some of the compounds were like benzene and styrene. You know, benzene causes leukemia and, and, and benzene doesn't typically show up in a, in a structure fire at these levels that are huge. You know, hundreds of thousands of PPM uh, on, a, on given days, months after the event. 
That's parts um, per million, right? Yeah. And so there was another unusual um, chemical found that was had never been found in a structure fire before. The EPA wrote very clearly that it, it had never been found that dwarfed it was present present levels that dwarfed all others and it, they'd never observed it in any sampling before it's it's a chemical called 1,3-diphenylpropane so 1,3-DPP and this is something that we wrote about in this paper as well so there's another mystery there's you know lots well, of wait mystery. a second what is what's benzene normally used for well, benzene is something is not used for things. It's the it's a combustion product of plastic burning in plastics, the same as styrene. And the difference here at Ground Zero is that the, the these violent incendiary events were burning the plastics to vapor. I mean, they were burning them to gaseous state immediately, right? So there's oh. huge amounts of these volatile organic chemicals being created, being spiked up on these dates um, every other week for five months um, and the fires just couldn't be put out. They just continued to occur. So now, there's- Well, wait a second. What about the other exotic? Um... So these metals and silicon, again, we're getting back to the same sort of thing, aluminum and silicon and iron. These are things that are bursting out of the, out of the pile at these intervals, um, particulate matter. So um, the, the UC Davis folks, they were studying what's what are called aerosols. And so they're, kind of like droplets of material and they're being carried around. And months after the after the the, the events of 9-11, they're saying we're still seeing these these large particulate matter spikes. And it's just it makes no sense. The only reason, and they say this in their research, the only way that can happen is there's some high temperature events going on in the pile. And so, you know, all these unusual things. Now, need... now, if you think about it, could could that high temperature, these high temperature events, could they be because there was still thermitic material in the wreckage that was still being ignited? Yeah, that's what we think. Yeah. And and so you wow. know that's that's the hypothesis, and I, we spell out the hypothesis in this paper at the Environmentalist. Um, and uh, you know we we say look, this, these are these nano nano level materials are being made by, of thermite, and you know they can be applied in certain ways, and and they would they're composed of the same materials you're seeing in these in these spikes. Um, other than, of course, the volatile organic chemi chemicals that are combustion byproducts, particulate matter, or they're combustion byproducts. But some of them appear to be actual components of whatever it is that's burning. So the, the when we're talking about aluminum and iron and silicon and sulfur, we're talking about thermite, potentially, right? Uh, or something that causes these very high temperatures and, and incendiary uh, events that are violent. Um, so there's all these different uh, uh, rare things happening in the EPA data, in the UC Davis data, uh, and, and at, at, Mount, at Stony Brook uh, with the CNTs. And it all really kind of points to the possibility that thermitic materials, as we've found at the, in the World Trade Center dust, were present in the, in the pile at ground zero and were, and were being ignited periodically as the pile was being cleaned up somehow, you know, as the- Now, did this up. include 
Building 7, too, when it came down? Was there? Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. Build, building 7 was just across the street. So, you know, uh, um, the the EPA data also covered the, the World Trade Center 7 area. Um, so, yeah, and, and they don't necessarily specifically, I don't have the specifics as to the specific site for each incendiary event. Like this one on October 11th was this location under World Trade Center 1, and this was under World Trade Center 7. Um, so it's just the World Trade Center complex was seeing these very high levels of these combustion byproducts and also components of thermitic materials. And uh, so, you know, as I said, we've, we've really tried to get some of this communi communicated to the public. Um, I published an article in Foreign Policy Journal, which I think is the one that you uh, asked Cut me about yeah. a week or two ago. And, you know, in what I tried to do with that Foreign Policy Journal article, because it was getting a lot of interest, Bill Gleason, uh, again, of the World Trade Center Rescuers Foundation, said that the doctors he was talking to were very interested in this, in this research. They were also very continually interested in carbon nanotubes and talking more and more about it. But again, it kind of collapsed when we tried to get the New York City Council to help fund a, a half a million dollar study, uh, a research study, because these research scientists that will really do it will, it won't be me that will do this research. It will be, you know, independent like Dr. Wu uh, and others who would do the actual God, research. you only but, need half a million, like a yeah, little, half a million dollars is what half I asked a million yeah. dollars for a study. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, we tried to get the Foreign Policy Journal published at uh, the article published at The Lancet, because you may remember on the 10th anniversary, The Lancet, which is a prestigious medical journal, called for articles uh, specific to 9-11 and, and the events of 9-11. So I submitted that. Uh, I also tried to get a, a co-author who was more of a, you know, a, a medical uh, a doctor, a PhD level uh, scientist to co-author with me. And, and they were, of course, again, very interested. But the fact is, uh, you know, the, the, they felt like they weren't the specific people that should be doing it. And and that the people who could specifically do it would would be silent. They wouldn't help. So, and I've gone, I've gotten through this. You know, getting all these peer-reviewed articles published, Christina. I can tell you, that's the same story I hear. So, if I have an article I want to get published in a peer-reviewed journal, and submit it, and I get a response, it's typically, you know, we can't go there, or, or you know, there's some blame excuse about how it's not related to their journal, which is is often just ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that cognitive dissonance is causing this issue. So I think you might be right. It's possible that we can get Dr. Wu, who seems very supportive in her response, to participate in the study. But then we would need others um, and we would need some money. Don't you think that some kind of um, some experts from the military realm on explosives. And, you know, there are, I think, physicians, people who are, who are physicians as well as, you know, chemists or whatever. I mean, they know, they know what explosives there are and they probably know what effects the explosives have. 
Is there, has anybody in the military realm ever been approached? I haven't specifically approached people because they're in the military. Um, and I certainly wouldn't reject them because they're in the military, but no, I haven't, I haven't looked into that. So if you have any ideas, please. I mean, I, I wonder too, if there are any other correlative um, events in which similar types of explosives were used, um, creating similar victims, if any thought has been given to that in terms of, well, has there been some kind of explosive event that could have right, right. matched this? Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it, it makes me um, recall the fact that uh, really some of the initial people who came to investigate the events at the World Trade Center were officers uh, uh, in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So, oh, um, yeah, so Gene Corley, who, who was famous for having, you know, uh, uh, investigated both the Oklahoma City bombing and also the World Trade Center event. Oh. Uh, and, you know, some of his comrades. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm sure there are others in the military who would be able to uh, present more of an objective viewpoint than, than some of those folks. But, um, Really, I think the key to this, just what, like with Bill Gleason, you know, if you get Bill Gleason, somebody like uh, leading the first responders uh, organizations, going and asking for help, saying we're dying, we're dying personally, we will provide the samples personally, we just need the money and the scientists to do the work. So we could get back into that and, and ask for help in that way, but we have to be able to address the right people. So it's at this point, we know well, it's, it's a real it's it's a real trick because I'll tell you, it was very interesting. Um, Eric Lawyer, who is a Seattle firefighter who started uh, the firefighters group, the 9-11 firefighters group, he's it took him 10 years to wrap his mind around the possibility that the official narrative was not true. And, and I totally understand that for the people who went and put their lives on the line. If they were to wake up one day and find out that they were being sent into a pre-planned explosive event, that, that would be quite shocking given all the other things that have unfolded including the wars and stuff and their illnesses and so on right. uh, from this event. And he says some of them are finally coming around because they're all getting desperate because they're dying like flies. Yeah. Right. So here, when you're at your weakest point, you're dying or you're sick, you have to wrap your mind around what it is that's making you sick and yep. what the forensic evidence is showing is not what your government said happened right right absolutely and so that's where we're hoping the cognitive dissonance will break with the people who are dying uh, and a lot more people are going to die a lot more I mean, we're expecting another 20,000 cancers to be diagnosed related to the World Trade Center um, just huge numbers of people, children, lots of children who were exposed to the 
environment there as well. And so you'd think that at some point people would say, hey, we've had enough of, you know, kind of the hand-waving answers and, and you know, the money's running out, right? The James Zadroga bill, you know, they don't have enough money. Yeah, that's continue. what John Stewart was up there at, at Congress. He was fighting for these people. But again, you know, it's like I say to John Stewart, John, man, if if you really want to fight for something, fight for what has caused this so that they can address it. And and if you do that, then you're shaking up everything on a global scale, literally, you know? And, And so you've got these people who, you know, a lot of people who still don't want to go there, who, I mean, even... Even Wu, I'm sure, she's going to think twice before she takes it. She's all excited now because her researcher brain is, wow, this is this will be great. This will be huge. Yeah. But then if she stops to think about the implications of what she might find, she might be, you know, she might back off because it could mean her career. It could mean her family. Who knows what it could mean? Because there's been pushback on people and it's not, it's not a pretty sight. Believe me, I know. I was fired for speaking out about it. So, you know, I, I've been on your show before and uh, we talked about, uh, I think, uh, the suspects uh, angle. But most of my work has been uh, scientific research. And so, you know, I, I really think if we focus on the science and we, and we try to help the people who are dying and pull together with them, it's possible that we can get another study funded. It's 21 years later and there's still no accountability. That is if you're looking at the forensic evidence, you know? Yeah. Because the forensic evidence is saying one thing, and it's not, I I chose the first responders for this show and you for this show because I think it's important for people to hear the science connected to these people who are dying en masse who are suffering en masse while everybody wants to hide under a rock. And while you're hiding under that rock, by the way, all the consequences from this World Trade Center disaster, all the consequences and decisions made based on the false narrative continue to this day. And the consequences are deadly. So you keep hiding under that rock until next thing you know, there is no rock and there is no you either. And I don't know what people are waiting for. I really, I, I do not know what people are waiting for. And I really feel for these people. I really do. And, yeah. you know, John is trying to get money to help them with their illness. And I, I respect that. I respect that. But, you know, Congress is just trying to sort of, first of all, you know, they have all, they've, spending money like drunken sailors on all kinds of things and so this this thing oh well this is a million years ago let's just try and back off of the funding and this and that and you know they're all saying not only are we still here but our numbers are growing yeah yeah the numbers are growing and more people are going to die and and we'll probably more than double the the death count uh, in the next 20 years, because as time goes on, these cancers, you know, cancer is the kind of thing that develops more over time, um, typically in co- is caused by multiple genetic mutations in, in the cells. So, you know, they can occur and then the, the effects then aren't seen for a number of years. So, um, 
I think we're going to see, unfortunately, more and more of this. And the only real um, way to, to know what, what to do is to find out what happened. That's the only way. I just want to go back to this pathologic summary because the two things that really struck me was the aluminum silicate and the magnesium silicate. Those are both ignition source. They are way above anything else. 165,600 per gram. Everything else is like 110, you know, 36,000. But consistently, 165,600, 184,000, you know, 110, 400,000. Yeah. And you know what? We, we have to, going forward and every day, we have to realize that we don't know exactly what happened on 9-11. We know some things that aren't part of the official narrative. We know for a fact that nanothermite materials were present at the World Trade Center. We know that. We found them. We don't know what else was there. We don't know exactly how the, how the buildings came down, exactly what was used. We know that those things were, were involved, thermitic materials were involved, but we don't know exactly what happened. And that, you know, these kinds of studies can additionally inform that story so that, you know, it sounds crazy, but the ability to know the history is, is so important. To be able to understand the history of where we came from is so important to how we move forward and, and how we address things that are happening today. And that's a problem people have. They can't accept the, the possibility of some alternative hypotheses related to 9-11 because those things never have never happened before, right? The government would never be involved in any kind of cover-up. The government, uh, well, right? that, would, that would never happen. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm so old and I've done so many investigations you know in-depth investigations where that's been the case <laughs> i mean i spent you know 17 years of my life looking into twa same thing plane explodes off the you know off yeah. the coast of long island oh no no explosives involved in that and yet you know they're testing fuselage and it's coming up positive for explosives so they just stop testing and, and they and they determine that most of them are um, false positives, and then they come up with a ridiculously easily um, debunked story about the rest of them, you know, a couple left. So I've seen this movie before. You've seen some of the same players like Robert I, Mueller, right? Exactly. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Cleanup Man. Yes. And I look at these people who are suffering, and it, there's there's just this feeling of complete uh powerlessness you know because who is going to do that study that needs yeah. to be done and that and you know what kevin that's just that's one study yeah. who's going to take everything to court and what judge is going to have the guts to say well i mean the science has spoken yeah there's that final justice aspect to it but i think even before that there's still a lot of people in, in, in our country and in the world who, who don't yet understand the possibilities, that even the possibility that they're, they're being lied to about 9-11 would not cross their minds. It couldn't cross their minds because it hasn't happened before anything like that. Well, the truth is other things like maybe not to, exactly like that, but many other things have happened 
that are similar, right? The, the, the assassination of the president, for example. Oh, well, that was the kickoff, you know, and, yeah. that's, and that's when the CIA came up with its, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist if you question the official narrative. And, and it's the, that whole conspiracy theorist thing has been off and running ever since. But for 9-11, the thing about 9-11 is there's so many areas of forensic evidence yeah. that point to something else. This nanothermite and, and, and the the, even the Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai study, you know, your, your reports, Niels Herod. Then you've got the architects and engineers who, you know, have looked at the forensic evidence on the structural possibility of, say, building seven going down in free fall, you know, with, yeah. with no explosives just by office fires. I mean, that has, has been looked at. So there are well-established bodies of forensic evidence just sitting there, sitting yeah. there. And, and, you know, the firefighters have just done, uh, well, a couple of years ago, they updated this documentary call, called Calling Out Bravo 7, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. An amazing documentary because they bring their forensic expertise to the table. And it's amazing what they have to say. I, I watched this documentary a couple of days ago and I was just, I was, I was blown away because, you know, yeah. they, they were explaining how there's no way the official narrative holds up from their perspectives and some of them from what they went in there and saw and from what was happening even before uh, anything was hit. So there are, there are solid bodies of forensic evidence and you're, you're working the explosives angle, you know? So what, what else have you been trying to do on this? If anything, I mean, you're already yeah. doing a lot, but. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that perhaps, you know, get back to the idea of trying to get a, a study funded, the epidemiological study in which the lung tissue samples are, are examined side by side with World Trade Center dust samples and side by side study. And, you know, as I said, I put, put together a proposal and you know, just because the New York City uh, Council uh, won't won't fund it or won't support it, that doesn't mean it can't happen. So I think that I'll publish that on my uh, on my blog, if not elsewhere, maybe at the Journal of 9-11 Studies, where I'm the editor, and um, and try to get some interests from other sponsors. I just want to read this to you, and maybe you should call Mount Sinai, because it says here, in this report, we describe clinical, pathologic, and mineralogic findings in seven previously healthy responders who were exposed to World Trade Center dust on either 11 September or 12 September, who developed severe respiratory impairment or unexplained radiological findings, la, la, la. World Trade Center dust samples were also examined. Okay. So, I'd, and... I don't think they mention what they found in the World Trade Center dust, but right. I, th I think that that is an important question to ask them. Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps they're the right place 
to uh, pursue, particularly, as I said, a very good response from Dr. Wu, perhaps that her, her department or her. Is she Maoxin? Is her name Maoxin Wu? Maoxin Wu? Yeah. 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 She was, you know, this is the report and, and yep. her name is the first one on it. Yeah. She's the lead author. Yeah. So give Dr. Wu a, a call and say, hey, what'd you find? <laughs> what'd you find in the dust? And how yeah. did it compare to what you found, you know? Yeah, I, I should. And really, I haven't actually gone to the extent of sharing with her our active thermitic material paper, which I think she might find, find interesting because that's kind of the point. The point is we found these materials in the World Trade Center dust. We found carbon nanotubes. She knows we found carbon nanotubes in ignition residues of those materials, but she doesn't know that we found those materials in the World Trade Center dust. And so just carrying on that conversation, perhaps seeing where it goes would be a good next step. Yeah, because I have a feeling that they're looking at these elements and they're not understanding because they're researchers and physicians, they're not really understanding what they're looking at. Yeah, right. Given all the other evidence and all the other events that occurred, like the spiking and the, and the, uh, you know, the pulverization of the concrete and all that stuff. Right. You know, so well, maybe you should go visit Dr. Wu and have make a, a trip. To, maybe I'll make a trip to Stony Brook. I don't want to I don't want to look threatening in any way. But, yeah. Oh, I don't think I don't think that would be the case. Yeah. I, I really I, I just want to tell you, I'm sure many people join me in telling you that we're really grateful for the work you're doing. Uh, I, I think as an investigative reporter, to me, forensic evidence is the bottom line. It's the bottom line, the science, if you're, if you're, doing, if you're doing your science with integrity, which you are, the science does not lie. So, you know, a little meeting with Ms. Dr. Wu might be in the cards for you. Keep me posted. Will do, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll follow your progress closely. Thanks for coming right. on. Thank you.